Well, happy Father's Day. One of the uh, best gifts that, uh, you know, that I have as a father is to have my uh, kids here, Isaiah and Abby and their significant others, Corwin and Alex. Um, but also to have my father here, uh, Al. And <clears throat> why don't you put that picture up? If you want uh, uh, to know uh, what 31 years will do to a person, right? <laughs> there's me and there's my dad, right? So 31 years, you know, changes a person a little bit. Um, but, you know, uh, one of the things uh, growing up that I uh, knew was that if I needed anything, or even now, uh, like if my car was broken down and so I needed a tool to fix it, or if my house was busted up and I needed a tool to fix it, that my father had that tool, right? <laughs> because when we would go to tag sales and stuff, we would say, oh, he's on tool alert. That means like, where is he? Oh, he's over looking at the tools. If there's a tool, he's gonna buy it if he doesn't have it already. And so I know that uh, a couple things about my father. One is that if I need a tool, he probably has it. But the second is that if I ask him to borrow that tool, he'll let me borrow it. But he won't just let me borrow it. If I want it, he'll give it to me. Now, why? Why do I have that confidence? It's because of who he is and who I am. He is my father and I am his son. And on the basis of that, I have a confidence. If I ask, he'll give it to me. Now, if you ask him, he may let you borrow it. <laughs> but if I ask him, I know. So if you want to ask me, and I'll ask him, okay? <laughs> and I think this is an illustration of our scripture in that we need to know who Jesus is so that we know who we are as his followers and what's available to us because we follow him. You see, so many times we, as Christians or whatever, we do things, but we need to do out of who we are and who Christ is. This scripture really focuses on who Jesus is and because of who he is, he calls us out to him. And if we're following him, Again, we can do things we didn't think possible. And as we're in this scripture that Linda read, uh, we're in this series in Matthew called A Story Bigger Than Your Own. And we just, the context of that scripture is we've just been through this section where people are rejecting Jesus, or at the very least, people don't know who Jesus is. They don't understand who he is. And in the passage right before this, Matthew describes how John the Baptist was killed by Herod because Herod didn't understand who John the Baptist was and he definitely didn't understand who Jesus is. So verse 13 tells us when Jesus heard this, that is, he heard that um, John the Baptist was murdered by Herod, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. So uh, John the Baptist was a relative of Jesus. Uh, he's the one who prepared uh, people for Jesus' ministry. So it makes sense that Jesus would withdraw from Herod's area of influence and recharge with some alone time with the Father. And the needy crowds, they followed him. 
And he heals the sick in the crowd. He miraculously feeds them, as was read. But then I want you to notice, he then goes back to have some alone time with his father in prayer. Verse 23 says this. It says, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. He was up there for at least six hours in prayer. We know this because when he came to the disciples on the boat, it says it was in the fourth watch, which is between 3 and 6 a.m. And so although this isn't one of the, the main points of the scripture, one of the things that I want us to glean from that is that in all the storms and the busyness of life, we need to make sure that our doing flows from our being. Because that's what Jesus does, right? He is the son of God. And that's the emphasis here in this passage. After all, the climax of this passage is when the disciples say, truly, you are the son of God, and they worship him. Well, Jesus, he lets his doing flow from his being. Uh, his works flow from his identity. So the miraculous... Um, provision of the bread, the walking on water, those actions flow from who Jesus is, his identity. And he makes sure that his relationship with his father is secure. He focuses on that when things get difficult. They get difficult physically. Imagine looking after a crowd of over 5,000 people, because it's just there was 5,000 men. So that probably means there was like at least 15,000 people. He's healing them all day. He's ministering to them, physically exhausted. And so when he's physically exhausted, what does he do? He connects with his father. Or he's emotionally exhausted. His relative was just murdered by Herod. He made sure to have alone time with God so that his works flowed from his relationship with God. Now, that's implied in this scripture. But what's implied in this scripture is stated plainly in John chapter 5, verse 19 through 20. This is Jesus. He says to them, I believe it will be on the screens. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. So whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show so that you may marvel. So God the son is in perfect unity with God the father. And he says, whatever I see him doing, that's what I do. You see, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. And so he shows us the way, he models the way for us that all the things that we do must flow from who we are in Christ. And although Jesus is the unique son of God, through Jesus, our relationship as children of God can be restored. So that just as he connected to God the Father and God did amazing things through him, so too we can connect to God through Christ and he will lead us into amazing things. But before I get any further, I think... If you don't get that, none of the other things I say are going to make sense. And so the first thing we need to know is God is our Heavenly Father. 
um, so that we can grow in being his sons and daughters. Because if, 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 as I emphasize, you need to grow in who you are as a child of God. Well, you need to make sure first you're a child of God, that through Christ you have received him, you received that forgiveness, you have trusted in him as your heavenly father. So that then it's not about doing this and doing that for God. It's about stepping into your identity as a child of God. And so if you haven't received Christ as your Savior, if you don't see God as your Heavenly Father, that's the step you need to take today. You maybe don't even listen to anything else I say. Just start praying to God and receiving him as your Heavenly Father. Because once we have our identity as followers of Christ, of children of God, then, like Jesus, our doing must flow from our being. The, uh, Peter made the announcement about you know, having this emotionally healthy leader um, growth group. And one of the primary emphases of that book is that our doing must flow from our being. And that we look at what Jesus did. If Jesus is our model, what did he do? He connected with the Father. He made sure that he was in agreement and in unity with whatever his Father was doing because he knew his Father was good. He knew his heavenly Father would guide him in the right way to go. And so what did he do? Well, as we read here, he would go by himself for hours on the mountain and pray and we're talking about the Son of God. We're talking about the, the Son of the triune God ha connecting to God. Well, then I think we need to do that. If we want to reflect Jesus in what we do, and Jesus connected to the Father, we need to do that too. We need to have that time of solitude and Sabbath and prayer. Otherwise, we're going to do things in our own power. We're going to go down paths that we think are right. We think they're the answer, but they're really not. So we connect with God, and he brings us to amazing places. He gives us a strength beyond ourselves. Because here's the problem. If we focus on doing instead of being, then we're going to end up telling God what he should do instead of allowing him to direct us into his purposes. And if we do that, we miss out. We miss out on experiencing his presence and his power in a new way because we're just following a path that we've been on before. We're comfortable. It's not scary, but it also it lacks the presence and power of God because this is the dynamic we see and the feeding of the multitudes. I don't know if you no noticed this, but when Linda was reading it, so Jesus, he's ministering to the crowds. He's healing all sorts of people, but it's starting to get late. So in verse 15, what did the disciples say to Jesus? They say, I believe it's on the screen, verse 15, this is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. The disciples are telling Jesus how to take care of the crowd. Now, Jesus has just been healing them all day. They've been seeing him miraculously, lepers healed, the blind see. But they see a problem. Wait, we don't have enough food for these people. So, Jesus, here's what you should do to take care of the crowd. It's a very reasonable solution, right? Right? 
It makes sense. It's very rational. Send them away while there's still a little bit of light so they have time to stop and buy food for themselves. That's very rational, isn't it? You look at the problem, figure out what you should do. But Jesus had different plans, didn't he? He planned to reveal himself to the crowd with this supernatural provision. This miracle would show who Jesus is as Jesus does for them what God did for the Israelites in the wilderness wanderings. So when God uh, brought Israel out of slavery in Egypt, they wandered around the wilderness. And by the way, when we say wilderness, when the Bible says wilderness, they usually mean the desert, not like the woods. So they're wandering around in the desert. God fed them manna. He provided for them. And they expected when the Messiah comes, he will be a prophet like Moses. So that when the Messiah comes, he will provide for us supernaturally like Moses did. And so Jesus, he's revealing who he is in this moment as he feeds them. And he doesn't just feed them. There's 12 baskets left over of extra abundance One greater than Moses is here. It could only be the Messiah who would do this. And so here's the lesson here. Before we tell Jesus what to do, let's ask him what he's doing already. Because if we, if we don't ask him, then we could miss out like the disciples almost missed out. If Jesus followed their solution, if he did what they asked, they would have missed out on a revelation of who Jesus was. They would have missed out on a supernatural provision. So many times that's what we do. We see a problem and we come up with a solution. So we pray, yeah, God, could you do this? Could you solve our problem? And so many times it's limited and it lacks what God wants to do. So the disciples may have solved the problem, but they would have missed out on a revelation. So many times we ask God to solve our problems when he's wanting to reveal himself, who he is and who we are in him so that we would truly do from who we are. We would do from who he is. But we settle for him just settle, solving a few of our problems, making us feel a little bit better, feel a little bit more comfortable, instead of understanding that he is the almighty father who loves us, who gave his life for us on the cross so that we can walk on the, through the storms of life, that we can walk into hunger and, and want and sickness and understand that he is in the midst of that doing something that we didn't expect. So how, how do we do this? How do we keep from telling God what he should do instead of seeing what he's already about to do? Well, our prayer life, it's got to be a two-way connection. Do we listen? <laughs> do we listen? So many times when we think about prayer, we think about, all right, that's me telling God what he should do. God, heal this, do this, do this. When, and, and we should do that. We can ask God for anything, but there really needs to be a time in our prayers where we just listen and say, God, I want, what's your will? And God, what are you about to do? When um, 
during our Thursday prayer time, uh, when we pray, you know, have the uh, drive up prayer and people just drive up, you know, and, and we pray for them. Uh, that's often sometimes what we pray. We say, God, we know that you're at work. We know that your Holy Spirit has been moving in the hearts of people around, some people even driving by. And so, God, in faith, we trust you're doing something. Just let us be a part of that. Let us join in in what you're already doing. Because we can't see. We, we don't see what God is doing so many times. We don't see what he has planned because we don't stop and say, God, what are you doing? I just want to join it. I trust in who you are. Because God is not just a problem solver. He is a loving father. Not, we need to get that in our head. And he's inviting us into an adventure. You know, it reminds me of a, a, a boy who, um, a young boy, it was hot out, and he saw, you um, saw a commercial for one of those, you know, wa uh, wacky lawn sprinkler things. You know, you plug it in. We had one uh, last um, uh, Children's Sunday where you, you put the hose on it, and it goes around and gets people all wet. And, and the kid, he's like, this, it's too, you know, it's hot out. Dad, will you get this for me? Would you get this um, sprinkler for me? And he kept asking about it. That's what he thought. That's what he needed. Meanwhile, the father, he had already bought tickets to Six Flags. He had already bought tickets to this water park where these, uh, the kid would go down water slides and have, it, it would make the, um, the little lawn sprinkler seem so ridiculous, so small. So many times we're like that child where we see a problem, it's hot out, or we come up with a solution because we saw it on television, <laughs> or we read about it on the internet, when God has got something so much bigger planned. See, we need to connect with the person of God before we bring our problems to God. But so many times it's the opposite, right? We bring our problems to God, but we don't understand who he is and who we are, so we don't even see the solution he has planned. Well, Jesus, he sends away the crowd, and then he sends away his disciples, too, after he feeds the multitude, and he has these hours of prayer time, and then he goes and he meets the disciples on the sea, and a storm has been thrashing them for hours, and if you've ever been on a boat without a motor, and you've been try you try to row against the wind, it is so frustrating, but it wasn't just frustrating, it was frightening. Because, again, if you've ever been in a storm near the water, you know that water is so powerful. The waves or the undertow, all of that, it's very frightening. And Jesus, he comes in, he's walking on the water. He comes up to them, and they are scared because they think, is this a ghost? And Jesus says to them in verse 27, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And the situation here has overtones of the Lord's self-revelation. Um, what I mean by that, and I don't usually bring up Greek stuff because that's usually pastors say they just try to show off. But in this case, it's, um, it's important in that he says, go in me, I, I am. And it's the same words in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that God says to Moses in the burning bush. When God comes to Moses and, uh, in the burning bush, there's a supernatural phenomenon. Wait, there's a flame here, but the, bu the bush is not burning. Who is this, God? Who are you? Who, what is your name? And he says, Egoimi, I am. So here Jesus comes walking on the water, and he says, Egoimi, the shock. And this, is, this supernatural being, he's not a ghost. He's not a demon. This is Jesus. 
a self-revelation of who Jesus is and the power that he has over all created things. And, and Simon, uh, Simon Peter, he says, oh, Lord, if it's you, but the better translation would be, since it is you, tell me to come out on the water so I can, I can come out there. It makes sense because if Jesus, since it's you and you're revealing yourself in this mighty way, and since Jesus, you've given us authority and power before, Matthew 10, uh, verse 1, remember, Jesus gave them powers over demons and, and miracles and stuff. Since Jesus, it's you, you command me, I can come out there. Peter shows great faith by even asking. Because he is overcome with who Jesus is at this moment. This is Jesus. He is the I am. He has power over water. He just fed crowds. He's just healed countless people. I, and as Jesus, as I see you for who you really are, I know I have faith that I can, if, you, if you tell me to, I can come out on that water. Amen. And, and Jesus says, come on. And, and Peter, he, he gets out of the boat. But then his focus shifts from who Jesus is to the problems, to the situation. It is windy. This sea is terrifying. And he begins to sink, right? Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him saying, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? See, Peter, he became divided on the inside where his fear of the situation started to match his fear of Jesus. And when I say fear of Jesus, I mean the biblical good fear where fear where you regard something as the most important, most powerful thing. It should have the highest regard, that kind of fear. When he understood who Jesus was, he feared Jesus more than anything. But then his focus shifts and his heart's divided. The fear of the situation starts to match his fear of Jesus, and he sinks. Has that happened to anyone else here today? What fears cause you to lose focus on who God is? Safety, I mean, that's a biggie. Our, our physical well-being. Um, Peter had every reason to be afraid. I mean, if you've ever been in a storm surge, you know, yeah, you should be afraid of that thing because it's powerful. But others of us have other fears. I'm not too big on fearing for my safety, um, much to the chagrin of my parents, but um, <laughs> fear other things, fear of failure, fear of losing control, Fear of rejection. See, fears command our attention. And we start to struggle because the reason we fear that thing is we've dealt with that thing before. And it knocked us down. So we don't want to deal with it again. So we fear. We, we try to stay away from that. We've dealt with it. And that's why we're afraid of it. And now, though, with our eyes off of God, our eyes on the thing we fear, the eyes on our own inadequacy, the reason that thing beat us is because we weren't adequate to the task on our own strength. And if, do you see, if we try to do things in the midst of fear, in the midst of regarding things other than God, then we see our own inadequacy. We see how we fail. But with our eyes on God and who he is, who Jesus is, 
We know I might not be able to handle this, but he can. He is my loving father. He has tools. He has things that I don't have. If, I, if, if he is with me, it's fine. And that's what faith is. Faith is trust in Jesus, not trust in myself, not trust in that, oh, the situations are all good. Because sometimes that's what we do. We treat God as if, all right, God, we actually use God to help us defeat the things we fear more than God. Do you see how subtle that is? Where, yes, God will help you with the things you fear, but if you're really using God to address your true fears, then God's not God. Your fears are. And the reason this is important is that sometimes God will make you walk through those things you fear. He won't just take them away. He'll walk th- through, he'll walk with you through those things that you fear. I mean, Peter, when he is on the water, the storm is still surging. Did you notice that? The storm doesn't stop till they're in the boat. But why does he go out there? Because Jesus is out there. He's in the storm. Or the crowds coming out to Jesus in the wilderness. There's no food out there. It's hard to go into the wilderness. You won't be provided for naturally. But they go out there. Why? Because Jesus is there. And as they go out into these places, the very places they fear, that is when they receive a supernatural revelation of who Jesus is. But then they also see who they are in him. That, yes, Jesus, he's the son of God. But if I'm following him, then, yeah, I can go out onto that water. If I'm following him, I can go into the wilderness and he'll provide. So the lesson here, last lesson, is don't take your focus off of Jesus and who he is. Because when he invites you into the supernatural, you can go where Jesus goes. You can do what Jesus does despite the storms. It's because of who he is and who you are in him. So how do we do that? Again, this is another concept from emotionally healthy uh, discipleship and leadership is pay attention to your emotions. It's true. We don't want to live by our fears. We don't want to live by our feelings. We're defined by our relationship with God, not these things. But that doesn't mean we don't. We ignore our emotions because that's sometimes what we do. Like, well, you know, uh, feelings and, and fears and stuff. I'm not supposed to live by that, so I'll, therefore I'll ignore them. No, actually pay attention to them because you can't help how you feel. You can't help when that fear wells up inside you, but what's your gonna, response going to be to that? When that fear wells up inside you, are you going to fight? Are you going to run? Well, in Christ, those aren't our only options. No, our option is to focus. When we fear, then we focus on God. And, and so you need to know that when you have that fear bubbling up inside you or when it's discontent or whatever those feelings are, don't stuff them. Rather, say, God, I'm, I'm feeling some strange things. God, I'm feeling fear, so I'm going to lift these emotions up to you. I'm going to specifically put my focus back on you so that you can help me deal with these things that you can help me see who I am in you and who you are because I know you're greater than the thing I fear. I know that you have a solution to my problems that I haven't even thought of. 
But too many times we say, okay, I am scared. God, do this, do this, do this for me. Do this, do this. Instead of saying, no, God, I am scared and I don't know what to do. And this is a problem bigger than me, but I'm lifting it up to you. And I'm asking you for your guidance. I'm asking you to be with me in this storm so that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That is the relationship we have, the good shepherd, the good father. So let's stop trying to do. And, and you might be here, and, and Christianity might be a thing that you're not even know what's going about. Well, it really is about who God is, who Jesus is, and who you are in him. So if you have the impression of, oh, I don't want to be, I don't want to do this Christian thing because I got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this. No, the doing flows from your being. Just like Jesus, he was the son of God. He stepped into that relationship in unity with the heavenly father. And then he says to his disciples, all right, now you do that. I have redeemed you. You are God's beloved children. And now in your connection with God, in your place of trust in who he is and who you are, now go step into the water, step into the storms, step out into the wilderness. And he is with us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we can only come before you and ask that you would put in our hearts, each one of us here today, Lord, give us a revelation of who you are. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would go about this place and you would be sinking it into our hearts of who you are. Lord, some here, as we've just been prayed, Lord, some are fatherless. Lord, we know that you are the good father. Would you reveal that goodness to each one here? Lord, would you reveal who you are and who you want us to be so that we would step into all that you are. And Lord, as we sing this song, this holy, holy, holy song, it's a confession that Lord Jesus, you are holy. God, you are Holy Spirit, you are holy. And you're inviting us into that relationship so that we would be your children and live in a way empowered by your presence. Do that among us today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.